Radio, the transmission and reception of electromagnetic waves on radio frequency, especially those carrying sound messages, or the activity or industry of broadcasting sound programs to the public. Fanboy, a male fan, especially one who behaves in an obsessive or overexcited way. This is the Radio Fanboy Podcast, and here's your host, Bevo. We're catching up with a lady today who has many, many hats. Okay, I'm just going to run through some of the things she does. Mornings on Triple M in Melbourne. She is an ambassador for Endometriosis Australia, a presenter, a comedian, an actor, an MC, a voiceover artist, amongst many, many other things we're about to find out on this podcast today. Please welcome Sarah Marie Cameron. Thank you so much for having me. You missed one of the hats. I'm also an ambassador for the Australian Cervical Cancer Foundation. Yes, I knew there was something else, but I couldn't quite find it. I've got like five tabs open here with lots of information here. So, um, Sarah Marie, first of all, welcome along to the Radio Fanboy podcast. I know you're a a listener to the podcast. I am. And um, many people have made reference to you in their podcasts. So, it's your turn now to get on and have a chat about yourself. So, how are you today? You well? You've just caught a lift home and and, and made it after um, doing the mornings on Triple M. Yeah, yeah, big day at work today um, because, well, I mean, I don't know when you're putting the podcast out, but we're recording this the day before uh, Australia Day. Mm. And as anybody in radio knows that when you are approaching a public holiday, there's just extra stuff that needs to happen. So you've got to do extra programming and I do some operational stuff off air on top of my show. So a bit of extra stuff that I had to do before I came on home today. The first time I heard your name, I thought you would have have to been a relation to the Camerons that own Grant Broadcasters. Is this <laughs> is this a fact? No, I'm not okay. at all and no relation to Dave Cameron at Southern Cross of Stereo and no relation to any other Cameron that works in the radio biz. But okay. I'm related to Jeremy Cameron, who now plays for the Geelong Cats. Well, there you go. <laughs> there is some Victorian <laughs> down there going on with the uh, the name Cameron, that's for sure. Sarah yeah. Marie Cameron, where did it all start for you? Because you've got so many hats here. Mm. Um, radio, I'm guessing, was your first stint or no? Yeah, well, it actually came about through me doing theatre. That was how I ended up getting into radio and specifically doing theatre shows in the scouting and guiding world. And I don't know if you know this, but there are actually a few scouts and guides in the radio industry or have been at a time. Right. So I was doing a show called Melbourne Gang Show and I met these guys who just became my best buddies in the cast. They were doing a community radio show through their school. Their school ended up amalgamating their licence with the university one and that became Student Youth Network in Melbourne, so SIN. And I was then part of SIN FM when it was actually born in Melbourne and got into community radio that way and never thought that I would ever make a career out of it. When I was that age, I was still doing some very low-level competitive swimming. I was performing. I was doing lots of singing, dancing and acting. So I kind of thought I was going to end up in theatre there for a little while. And then it wasn't until a teacher and actually my brother flagged with me that there was a radio course in Melbourne at Holmes Glen TAFE and said, oh, do you want to go and do that maybe after school and see if you can make a career out of it? And I thought, okay, well, that makes sense. Like I listened to the radio all the time. I used to stay up and my dad would bust me in my bedroom listening to the radio and they even bought me a um it was a i think it's called a talk girl this thing that you could use as a voice diary if you will but i ended up using it to host radio shows in my bedroom (laughs) i could totally relate to that i had a a, a one that you could tune into a radio so i did like a radio show at night for the the neighbourhood kids. A yeah. lot of fun. So everyone's got a similar story there. And I think we I had uh, Rach on the other week and she was talking about how she used to do her mixtapes and line up the songs in a row when she was a kid. So oh, yeah, it all goes yeah. back to your childhood, doesn't it? It really does. Yeah, actually, when I got older, mum even bought me a karaoke machine because oh. <laughs> I was obviously singing all the time. And I ended up making radio shows off that too and I'd be interviewing friends who'd come over. And, yeah, so I didn't even realise that it was something that I could make into a career until it was pointed out to me that I could. And so then as soon as someone said, oh, you can actually make a living out of this, I thought, okay, well, that's what I'm doing then. I'm making a living out of it. 
Yeah, well, you've, you've done all right. Just on, <laughs> you know, the, the second biggest market in Australia and um, uh, you've, you've not only worked on Triple M but also Nova 100. Where, where mm. else has your career taken you? Where did you start? Uh, Let's get there. All over. Um, so I ended up going from TAFE to Swinburne University and doing the radio course there and became part of a wonderful alumni and I'm so thankful I did that course because it introduced me to so many people throughout the industry. But unfortunately, when I finished the course, I couldn't actually get a job. I kept applying and I was checking Jock's Journal and Radio Info and I just couldn't get a job anywhere in Australia. So I ended up taking off overseas. My first radio job was actually at Mountain FM in Canmore, which is in the Canadian Rockies. Wow. Yeah, and that was... Not even something that I entirely planned. I ended up just getting a job in a town called Lake Louise and I was living there. Um, And after some time, I ended up emailing Dad and asked him if he could email me my air check that I'd saved on the computer back home. And so he had to find a file that was small enough to email because this is in the early noughties. So, (laughs) you know, sending me my air check via Hotmail. And I ended up hunting down the program director of the radio station at Mountain FM, Rob, who's still there, and sent him through my demo and he ended up hiring me. Wow, and your first gig being in Canada, oh my God, like we've had some people um, on the podcast that have gone to Canada and got, actually acquired a Canadian accent because they've been there yeah. so long. Did you have to um, adjust some of your words to, um, you know, accommodate for the Canadian um, accent, I guess you could say? No, do you know what? Being on air kept me Australian, which was really great. Yeah. And I'll never forget my first shift on air. Rob was so fantastic. He came in super early. I had the 6 a.m. Saturday shift. And he was popping me on there. He said, hey, phones are pretty quiet, so don't take it personally. Just have fun. Just want you to have fun. And I did my first talk break and the phones lit up because, as you know, so many Aussies live in Canada. Yeah. And, I mean, in the Canadian Rockies, plenty of mm. Aussies. And they started calling. They were like, what? There's an Australian on the radio? <laughs> this is insane. And when you live overseas – you can get so good at picking where people are from. So people are calling up going, you're from Melbourne. We can hear it in your voice. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I made sure not to lose my accent because it was very much my thing. The only time I would start to sway was when I was at the pub because there was this bartender that refused to serve me beer unless I said beer. Oh, seriously? So have to say beer or water yeah. Um, or if I wanted poutine, I had to say it like that. Or oh. if I wanted ketchup, you know, I had to say ketchup or peppers with my oh, salad, not wow. capsicum. And, you know, those sort of words and just things that you had to go with. But when I was on air, no, I was Aussie as. Yeah. Mm. Good on you, girl. And celebrate Australia <laughs> Day tomorrow in style without that Canadian accent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. But. Uh, it's funny when I talk to Canadians, you just uh, – the things that you lean into – I'm sure it happens to anyone whenever you've lived anywhere. You lean into the language yeah. and just the the dialect or whatever. So, And I learned some French-Canadian when I was over there too because I was living with a French-Canadian. So you, you just try to get really into where you're living at the yeah, time. It kind of reminds me of um, when Kylie Minogue went to um, England for so long. She's mm. basically more English now than Australian, and her oh, yeah. accent is very, very British now. Like, you wouldn't even know she's from Australia originally. Yeah, yeah. Well, my brother's the same. He lives in a town just outside of Whistler, and he's lived there my entire life. So, he's my oldest brother, and his accent, to me, he sounds Canadian, but to Canadians, he sounds a bit... Aussie, so he's just got this mad combo accent going on oh, now. Wicked. So from yeah. Canada, did you make it back to Australia or did you do some more stations over there? No, well what happened was it was a complete accident. I was meant to go back. So I just I came home for Christmas and I'd left some stuff there. Not that I had too much with me, really. I was just a travelling hippie, to be perfectly honest with you. And I was loving life and loved everything that I'd set up for myself over there. Came home for Christmas and then a friend of mine who I know through scouting, and again, this is another one of my scouting connections that led me straight to radio, is a wonderful engineer by the name of Daniel Ennis. And we'd stayed in contact the whole time that I was overseas and we'd email each other. And I said to him, oh, I'm coming home for Christmas, so I'll, I'll catch up with you for a beer. He said, oh, 
you know, I think they're looking for some casuals at Nova 100. He was one of the engineers there at the time. So he gave me Tony Pipicelli's email. She was the assistant program director. That was the title they were rolling with then at the time. So I emailed Tony when I was actually in transit on the way back home and she said, oh, when do you land? And I, I think it was the Wednesday. And so I was in on the Thursday and by Friday I'm pushing buttons for Akmal. Holy moly. <laughs> what yeah. the? Yeah. And then uh, I guess they were real desperate. So then they had a staff party because, you know, it's that time of year. It's it's Christmas and everybody called in sick. And you want to know who was one of those weekend presenters who called in sick, if memory serves me correctly here. I hope I'm not throwing him under a bus, but it was actually Ash Williams. Oh, right. So, Ash Williams was one of the casual jocks there doing weekends at the time and floating around, as was Shura Taft. Yep. And then that everybody called in sick and I got a call on a Sunday morning at about 5 a.m. from Tony saying, do you reckon you could go on air? We've got no one else. Holy I went, moly. Sure. So, I jumped in the car and legged it into the station and was on air. And from that moment on, they went, oh, okay, no, she can actually pull a shift. We don't just need her to be a button pusher. And so I was thinking I was just going to, you know, stay in Melbourne for four weeks and go back home. Yeah. But then a far more position, like a far more um, frequent position popped up and that was actually to be a show assistant on Nova Nights with Johnny and Jody. Yeah. And I called the people that I needed to call back in Canada and I said, I don't know how, but I've fluked a job at Nova 100 in Melbourne. And funnily enough, the program director of Mountain FM, Rob, he streamed Nova. That was just one of his international stations that he loved to listen to. And he said to me, don't you dare come back here. (laughs) You need to stay. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Isn't it amazing? Right place, right time. And those doors opened up and bam, you're in. Yeah. So then I hung around there for about six months doing some show assisting and then being on air afterwards. So being on air from about 10 p.m. till 1 a.m. and doing weekends. And it was so fun because this is at a time when Stereo Sonic had just kicked. It was the first festival that they had lined up uh, and done. So I'm backstage filming interviews with John Corse and Grant Smiley and oh, around just, with- just to drop a few names there. It was, I was there going, I've been back in Australia for a solid two and a half, three weeks. How is this happening? (laughs) Wow. So everything's just landing in your lap and you're just riding the wave. Yeah. And then one day, Amanda Lee, who was working there as a music director, uh, I'm pretty sure, or a music assistant, uh, she just asked me, what did I want to do? And I said, look, on air is what I want to do. And I definitely want to do it in more of a show format. So she gave me Reese Holleran's email. Yeah. And so give him an email. He can help you out with some regional work. You definitely need to cut your teeth in regional. I said, yeah, no worries. I had no idea that he was the CEO. (laughs) And I sent him, well, what I now know to be a rather arrogant email. No way. Yeah. And he basically replied to me saying that he liked the cut of my jib because of just how confident I was. Yeah. And when I saw his email signature that he was a CEO, (laughs) I wouldn't have been so confident if I knew that you were the CEO. Oh, no. And then he forwarded my email to Phil Bradley, who was overseeing the Warrigal market at the time, who had a maternity fill position that he needed to fill, and sent me down to Warrigal and I went down there and did brekkie. Oh, Wow. Yeah. So from, yeah, Nova Late Nights to Breakfast Radio in regional Victoria. Yeah, in Warrigal. And then before I knew it, I had um, grants listening to my show down there because I was also, within a couple of weeks of getting down there, I ended up taking over the network Aussie show yeah uh oz made so i was oh my god i remember hearing you do on that too yeah because i just i think i was just said in passing to phil bradley just how passionate i was about aussie music and specifically aussie rock yeah so i was going up the highway constantly to go to gigs as much as i could especially if it had anything to do with australian rock music and yeah then i ended up getting to take over that show and i guess someone heard me somewhere and I was getting an email. I think I got an email from Dave Rogerson and he said, we need somebody to be the assistant content director slash drive presenter up at Hot 100 in Darwin. And 
my eyes lit up because yeah. I was like, hey, that's where Kyle Sandilands was. Hey, you want to follow his cruise path? Yeah. Went to Darwin, then I'm going to Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to Darwin. <laughs> it's, a, it's a rough place, isn't it, Darwin? Look, I loved it. I. I really was pushed to my limits. I worked so hard. We were never fully staffed. The entire time that I was there, I spent a year in Darwin and we never had a full roster. You know, you'd, you'd hire someone, but in the couple of weeks it would take for them to come up, the next day an ounce is gone. And so then you're hiring for that one. Oh and while you're God. waiting for them, then the night's announcer got sick and then you're hiring a drive announcer. And it, we were just perpetually one presenter down at any one time and it was a hard slog but you were producing your own show you were getting these incredible contacts so many perks to being in Darwin as well because I mean a lot of touring schedules will go throughout America then Europe then down throughout Asia and then come to Australia and at the time a lot of them would stop off in Darwin so you'd end up having these incredible opportunities with DJs or artists and they come into the studio. It wasn't via the phone. Like I remember the first time I got to meet Dave Gleeson and I just, I was like, oh my God, it's Gleeson. He's great. Screaming Jets and then um, fronting the angels as well. He was coming to Darwin and he came into the studio on the drive show. I was like, this is sick. (laughs) Visiting at the time. So I was like, guess who we get to go and hang out with tonight. (laughs) And isn't he the nicest guy you'll ever meet? Just so level headed and kind and caring and yeah. Yeah. yeah, just stuff like that. It was, it's just, you know, big fish, small pond, yada, yada, great experience. And then I really lapped it up. I made, I made the most of my time in the top end and I've been back for holidays and want to go back for another holiday. And I've still got mates that are up there. And I just always feel so blessed to have done 12 months up in Darwin. Yes. How did you cope with the heat? Were you, um, <laughs> did it take you a while to get acclimatized being so oh. far south originally? I cut all my hair off. Oh, did you? Is that what made yeah. you do that? Yeah, I was, I was like, see you later. This is done. If pink can do it, I can do it. Hey, yes. Um, yeah, no, you, you end up pulling back on makeup and wearing rings because I was just perpetually swollen. Yeah, right. And it's just always, it's just always so hot. Yeah. Um, I had a mad shorts tan line for a few years. Because oh, right. I mean, the UV index will get you up there. It's a yep. solid 18 yep. <laughs> minimum. <laughs> so uh, you got to be careful. A lot of slip, slop, slap action. Um, you just, I don't know, you acclimatise. You, you really do. And then I came back home and I thought, geez, Melbourne's freezing. So, yeah, I loved it. Loved my time up in the top end. So you did You did make it back to Melbourne, your, your mm. hometown, and um, mm. was it you went back to Nova or was it there you no. got into Triple M? Okay, so this is where the story just takes a bit of a turn. All right, stick I'm, with me though, because you know. Oh no, this is, is this good. is a great story. I'm hanging on with both hands. <laughs> so I knew I was getting sick. I didn't know what was going on. I kept losing my voice, which is obviously alarming, being a radio presenter. Yeah, and I was doing heaps of tests up there, but in the Northern Territory, it's weird. They don't bulk bill like they do down in Victoria. Oh There's man, just, the medical system is just different. And I was getting to a point where. Uh, I was having blood tests, I think it was every Tuesday. I was going in, having a blood test, and every time I had a blood test, they're like, your white blood cell count is getting worse and worse and worse. We don't know what's going on. And uh, I went and had a meeting with my general manager, and he said, we've got a saying here in the top end, when in pain, get on a plane. Because the medical system just won't cover you. You'll be broke in a hot minute. Oh, God. So they said, you know, you really need to go back to – your home state, or just any state, really. And I organised to come back to Melbourne. I thought, okay, I need to work out what's going on here. Contacted Dave Rogerson, who was the group program director of grants, and I said, look, I need to hand in my resignation, but I'm open to some casual work. And he lined up some casual work for me at K-Rock down in Geelong. Oh, perfect. So I sorted myself out, got my moves sorted, went down to Melbourne. He... Uh, teed me up with an interview down there with Mark Highland, who's still down there. And Mark said, oh, actually, do you want to do summer breakfast uh, with Gordy Waters, who's now on Kiss in Sydney? 
And because of that, we're now best mates still to this day. So I went down there to go do a breakfast, you know, summer brekkie fill position and then just had to take a day off to go and have surgery. And unbeknownst to me, I had cervical cancer. Oh, my God. At what age? 22. Oh, my God. Mm. But while all that was happening... So they ended up offering me a full-time contract down in Geelong. Yeah. And they were going to work out the nuts and bolts. They were basically crowbarring me into the lineup down there, which I'm so thankful that they were trying to do. Uh, but at the same time, I ended up getting a call from Dave Cameron. And he said, oh, I heard you back in Victoria. What are you doing? Do you want to come in for a meeting? <laughs> so I went and had this meeting as well. I felt like I was two-time in K-Rock. <laughs> went in and had a meeting with him and he said, hey, we've got this new night show that we want to launch after the Hot 30. It's called Choose the Hits Jelly. And it's a software company out of the States and it's completely live radio. It will work in conjunction with a website. People will be on the website and vote for their favourite songs and they can, like, rocket them to the top or bomb them down. And it's basically... Like a video game meets radio. Yeah. Do you want to do it? I was like, um, yes. Yeah. So then I had to go back to K-Rock and say, hey, guys, I know I just got here two weeks ago, but I need to leave. And they said, yep, we understand. You've got our blessing. <laughs> we'll Gee, that's all right. Contract. Yeah, I felt awful. And, yeah, and then I started my training uh, to learn everything and started doing some trial shows on the digital station that they already had going for Choose the Hits Jelly. And I think we must have gotten about a week or so in to the show actually launching. And then, yeah, my results from the surgery came back and said, oh, yeah, you've you got cervical cancer. I went, oh, okay, cool, because I just got a new job. Mm. <laughs> so I tried to keep it a secret for as long as I can. I don't know what I was thinking, how I thought I was going to be able to keep that a secret, but... I tried. Yeah. And I was going and doing all my appointments and my blood tests during the day. I guess that was the perks of being on late night radio. And then I eventually had to tell Dave Cameron that I needed a couple of days off because I needed to have another surgery. So they were fantastic. And they said, you know, you need some time off. No worries. We'll sort it out. Went back on air, had my surgery, did everything. The show ended up only lasting um, six months. And to Ausstereo's credit, they were trying to find me another job. And I think there was something coming up in Perth, actually. And I'd spoken with Mickey Ma, but I hadn't made it public at that time that I had cancer and it really wasn't feasible for me to move away from the eastern seaboard and just go and find myself, you know, a new gynecologist and a new GP or anything like that. I was in the medical system in Melbourne and if I needed any, you know, extra care and all my checkups, because you need to have your monthly and then your three-monthly and your six-monthly checkups, I had to say thank you but no thank you and called Phil Bradley again, <laughs> my saving grace, because I knew he was up in Albury. He said, oh, we've actually got this show called Truck Radio. We could slot you on there. Whenever you need to have time off, you can just pre-record and jump on a train and go to Melbourne. It's three hours on the train. What do you say? And I said, okay, sign me up. And I moved to Albury and when I had to, I jumped on a train and came down to Melbourne for checkups and treatment and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, Phil was just so unbelievably accommodating and also keeping my secret because I really was hell-bent on not letting people know. I just wanted people to think that everything was okay. You don't want anyone to ever think that you're sick. And for some reason I was just so scared that if anyone – knew that there was something wrong with me, they'd never want to hire me. Oh, Sarah. I never wanted to be a problem. Yeah. So I just didn't want to tell anybody until it was done. So what was when was that moment when you actually went public with it? Oh, it wasn't until I was in remission. I went the whole year, didn't oh tell anyone. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So only bosses knew on an absolute need-to-know basis. Yeah. That was it. Yeah, otherwise I kept everything to myself. I just – I wasn't really telling too many people. I think towards the tail end, you know, I started posting some, some stuff on Facebook, but, you know, Facebook wasn't that big and I didn't have too many radio people on Facebook for strategic reasons yeah. <laughs> at that point. And then I got to the end of the year and the doctors said that they were happy and you know, they reckon that they got everything and I was officially in my remission period, so all was okay. Well, that's good news. Yeah. 
But uh, you became you became an ambassador at some stage too for endometriosis. Or is, yes. that, is that totally different to... Yeah, so that's completely different. So, so confusing. <laughs> what happened then, so I did truck radio, so that was, um, yeah, 2000, middle of 2010, picked that up, then 2011. End of 2011, God, I was flying up to the Gold Coast heaps to fill in for Renee Peterson on the hit list. Oh, her? Yes. I heard you two are pretty tight. <laughs> yes. One of the bestest women in the whole wide world oh, and how blessed I am to her. energy her. is infectious, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. I, I'm just so blessed. You know, she mentored me and then became my friend and then I got to replace her for a hot minute on, on the hit list. And whenever she was away, I would fill in for her. Whenever there was survey break or holiday break, I would fill in on the hit list, either with Timmy Dormer or uh, with another guy called Pickle. Oh, yeah. And um, in the end, they were like, hey, why don't you just move up to the Gold Coast because you, you're doing a lot of stuff up here. So I moved to the Gold Coast and then I was going to replace her on the hit list, but then this was at the exact same time that Osterio and Southern Cross were joining. Yes. So just as soon as I had been told that I was going onto the hit list, they came in and said, actually, we're going to can the hit list. And the hot 30 is also going to go into the regional and the provincial markets. And so I was sitting on the Gold Coast employed and very thankful to be getting paid. But I didn't have a specific show that I was working on. Oh, right. It was very strange. It was a very strange time. And then What do they what call that? That's warehousing, isn't it? When the oh. talent gets paid but they don't actually do anything? Yeah. Well, no, no. I was still working, though, because, you know, Jack Lawrence, JK, who had JK's work, day he would need a holiday so then I'd yeah. go and do his show and then Brian Madigan would go on holiday so then I'd do his day show and then uh, Moira who was on breakfast she was actually pregnant at the time and you know suffering with some morning sickness or whatever so then I'd fill in um with Gailey and bags on air so I was sort of just here there everywhere I was like Sally's no gaps I was just filling in some <laughs> holes where required right Oh, yeah. that is hilarious. <laughs> and then Rob Bryce called me into his office one day and said, hey, they actually need a day announcer on the Central Coast at CFM. And I thought, okay, all right, I've been doing shows for a few years here. But, okay, well, let's go back to full-time days because I needed to go somewhere and I was just so fearful that I was going to get made redundant. So I trotted on down to the Central Coast and then I got made redundant. So. Oh. The life of Sarah Marie Cameron. Wow, it's it's um yeah, there's a lot of doors opening and a couple closed by the sounds of it too. But I didn't mind it. I was travelling around, seeing a bit of Australia. I think I got about ten and a half, eleven a month, eleven months on the Central Coast there. Yeah, and absolutely love my time. Made some incredible friends. You know, Danny Torrenson, uh, Cam Sinclair, Will Todd, uh, Buzz. That was actually where I met Buzz when he was a cruiser driver. Yeah. For CFM back there. Um, another girlfriend of mine, Danny, who now does breakfast in Darwin. CL, who was doing breakfast. Dan Taylor, who's in Tasmania. There's just so many of my friends actually came from that market. So I'm really glad that I went there. But also not mad about a redundancy because when you know that there's a foot on your back, you think that you're going to get fired and then they end up sending you out the door with extra money and you yeah. think, oh, thank you so much. I'll take it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And by that stage, I'd been getting into a lot of sports hosting and I was working with uh, Central Coast Mariners and uh, GWS had started as well. So I was traveling down to Sydney hosting GWS games and I ended up just taking a bit of a break from radio and doing full-time sports presenting their like live game day hosting. So is that when they have like the camera crew and you get to um, go on the big screen uh, yeah, in the stadium? Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, and I did a lot of that um, up in Sydney and the Central Coast. It was a much bigger thing up there than it was elsewhere at the time because crowds were just known for being really fickle. So they had to incentivize the crowds to be there. Yeah. And there were just lots of giveaways, cash giveaways, prize giveaways from sponsors, and you'd be there executing it all. And radio presenters make for great game day hosts because you're just constantly wheeling out credit lines and yeah. that's what we do day in and oh, day out. Yeah. Shit, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I loved it and, and I genuinely like sports. So, you know, one of my proudest moments is, you know, getting to interview Tom Rogic on debut 
and he's a phenomenal footy player, soccer player now. And, you know, I've got that footage there and, um, yeah, Matt Ryan and just these incredible AFL and soccer footy players. And, um, yeah, it's just – it actually blows my mind how fortunate I am to have spoken to – yeah, across my career because, yeah, I am a sporting fan. I grew up in a sporting mad household and I feel blessed that I was allowed to have a microphone and a camera and, and interview these people. Who's your AFL team at home? Oh, Richmond. Yeah, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So when I got the, the gig with Richmond, I didn't even tell my mum when I got the interview. So that came about because I... I rang my boss of uh, Game Day Entertainment through the AFL, Greg Petherick, and I said, hey, I'm going to go back to Melbourne and base myself from there. And he said, oh, we'd actually love to get more females down in Melbourne. And he lined up an interview for me at Richmond because he goes for Richmond, knew I was a mad Richmond fan, and I have been working for them ever since. My God, Sarah. <laughs> yeah. just Everything just falls in your lap because you've just gone everywhere, done everything, and... Made all these connections and everyone loves you. Oh, do you I have Do you that. have any enemies? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> just check it. Yeah, yeah, anybody who met me before the age of twenty five. Oh right, okay. <laughs> I just think I had I had a, a nice little early twenty year old ego. Oh, I thought you were time. going. You had an extended teenage uh, teenage years. No, I was just no. so determined, you know. I just once I decided that you know radio was what I wanted to do, and Metro was where I wanted to be, and these are the types of things that I wanted to do. I just was really gung ho about about it, and emailing people. And I remember when they needed to replace the day presenter on on two day, and they put the ad up. And that, this is an ad that went up on Jock's Journal Radio Info in. I want to say it was like September, August, September 2009, and I'm sitting in Darwin, Darwin, and I have sent my application to Dave Cameron. I mean, how egotistical do you have to be? However, I mean, that is the email that ended up getting me the job for Choose the Hits Jelly. Oh, right, okay, yeah, okay. Because that was the connection that I made, and I hunted him down at the Acras on the dance floor a few months later and he sent me a really great letter and I've still got the letter as well just saying that he loved my air check and that they were going for somebody else for the two-day position which we now know is the beautiful Ellie Angel Moss who is just heaven sent as her name suggests and I I still have the letter but that was how I formed that connection and that got me a job later so yeah, I've always tried to be proactive with sending out air checks and maintaining those contacts and looking towards the people that inspire me. You know, that, that's that's how I ended up at Triple M because I was sending air checks to Dan Bradley. How did the comedian uh, come out in you? Because I see here that you've got some comedy skills in a demo reel on your yeah. sarahmarie.com if you want to <laughs> check it out, listeners. <laughs> it's, it's just there so no one else would buy it, really. But, um, yeah, I, I love comedy. They're just things that would always be on the TV in my house. Sport. Yeah. And comedy. <laughs> you really sound like a Triple M rock chick, don't she? Well, <laughs> rock sport and comedy. Yeah. I grew up listening to Triple M. Yeah. I grew up around the corner from VFL Park. Oh, wow. I was at the last game that they played at VFL Park as well with my family. We were there <laughs> watching. I mean, nobody in my family went for either of the teams that were playing there that day, but we mm. were there. Yeah. And... You know, we just, like my brother's first job was selling records at VFL Park as well. That's just how my family rolls, basically. If you don't like sport and if you don't like comedy, then you are going to be the black sheep of the family. Mm. So Triple M was always on. We always got the show bags as well. So I've got all the old Triple M show bags too. And, um, yeah, I I guess both of my parents, mum and dad, were really into comedy and they would get us into comedians too and take us to comedy shows and we'd always be watching the gala on TV and watching ABC as well because there were always lots of great comedians and great shows on there to watch. So that was also what I grew up with. And I loved it but never thought that I could do it. I, I, 
I mean, I saw some females, don't get me wrong, like I would see Judith Lucy and Denise Scott, you know, you, I'm so glad, and Kitty Flanagan as well, I'm just so glad that I saw women like that on my television. Julia Morris, my gosh, when she was doing the Morris Report on In Melbourne Tonight with Frankie J Holden and she's doing this piss take of the news, I was like, this is incredible. Women can do that and be funny. And I, for a while there I didn't see anything different, but then as I got older... I did wonder where the females were because it was just a confined bunch that you were constantly seeing in rotation. Mm. And then, you know, I'd look to the working dog crew who I just idolise and I'm just so thankful that I get to work at Triple M, you know, and like Jane Kennedy is someone that I've reached out to a few times over my career and, and yeah, count my blessings for sure. But I just wasn't sure that I could ever do it. And then one year... I thought, okay, I really want to do this, but can I write gags that have a place? I'll go and watch as many females as I can during the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, and I easily spent over $1,000 on tickets. Holy I was going to shit. shows almost every night. Sometimes I go to two shows a night. I did my research. I was watching comedians from all over Europe, all over the States, Canada as well, Australians, big names, small names, improvised comedy Whatever I could get. If there were females, I was there and I was just studying. <laughs> I was looking at how they do their their timing, how they do their beats, their payoffs, everything, crowd interaction, and I thought, okay, I can I can give this a crack. Let's go. Did you do a, a one of those comedy um, courses or no, um, no, and, and do the, like the you know the show at the end of it? No, I ended up just signing up for the Raw competition that Melbourne International Comedy Festival run and I did a couple of open nights beforehand and that was it. Then I went and did Raw and invited my friends and my family to come along to one of the heats that was in Footscray and did that and that was sort of like ripping the band-aid off. I was going to say, what was the very first gig like? Because everyone um, that starts in comedy is just shitting themselves before they get up on stage. Yeah. You know what? I think the fact that I was doing so much sports presenting at that stage and I was also hosting a lot of gigs in general, just emceeing panels and events throughout Melbourne, um, I wasn't fearful of holding a microphone and due to radio, I wasn't fearful of telling a story either. So I had sort of worked out in my head the worst thing that was going to happen was that it would be much like a talk break on a breakfast radio show because you're only looking to do about four minutes because they'll actually cut you off at five minutes with Raw. Yeah, right. Okay. And you just had to try and put together a good four-minute bit and if I could just put that together like a radio talk break, the worst that was going to happen was that it would be like a radio bit. So... I wasn't too fearful, thankfully, and through hosting events as well, I'd be able to roll gags. I was always telling jokes. I just wasn't putting it under the banner that I was a comedian. Yeah. But when people would book me, they'd go, oh, yeah, we want her because when she hosts an event, she can do all the, you know, the toilets are here, this is here, this is your panel, here's your guest speaker, and I'd do all my research and learn who I was interviewing or hosting, whatever the event was for, but then i try and light the room as well. So I'm very fortunate that through all the hats that I had through my career, it was as if all of it was to train up to be a comedian, really. And look at you now. You're on Triple M Mornings in Melbourne, your hometown, living the dream. Yeah, it's pretty great. I'm just... I pinch myself. It's just wild to think that I'm on Triple M, really. And and I really love that I am you know, in my 30s and at the M's now. I had a really great time at Nova again. I ended up doing another stint on Workdays at Nova. From there, went to the Fox and was floating there and getting to work with people like AB, Tim Arnold, Dan Hill was the music director at the time, Keegs and Aaron Rich were the day presenters, Buzz was anchoring the Carrie and Tommy show and AB got me on anchoring a Sunday night show called The Schmonday Show with Jamila Rizvi and I was just 
so happy that he had given me that opportunity to be a female, to anchor, to panel, to do that. And then from there, James Speed gave me a call. He was the content director down at K-Rock. And then that was like my second chance to go and rewrite my, my wrongs of leaving too early last time. And then I went down to go do breakfast with Tom Lewis, who just became the best radio husband anyone could ever have. And it was down there that we, both Tom and I, built the connection with Dan Bradley sending air checks. And then the job came up at Triple M and, yeah. Wow. Now I'm there. Yeah. You've had so much experience in such a short amount of time. It's incredible. Like, my God, how many – like the Ks you must have flown and driven and (laughs) all the rest of it. You must have gone through a few cars in that time. Oh, yeah, there's been a couple. But, you know, those last few years – the majority have been in Melbourne and then, you know, 18 months just down in Geelong. Yeah. So out of all the stints in radio that I've done, I'm unbelievably blessed to have spent the most amount of time broadcasting in my hometown and mm. that is what I love. Yeah, absolutely. That's the dream I from most people it. getting into radio. They want to, you know, come back and yeah. be, on, be on air on the station they grew up listening to, and um, you're certainly living that. So congratulations, Sarah Thank Marie you. Cameron. That is that is awesome. What a great story. I, <laughs> I feel like giving you a round of applause, but I haven't got my button ready to go. Oh, no, but this, I feel like that's just what you do. You know, you move around so much. I live with the famous giggling Ben. No way. beautiful giggle that so many people would know from Hamish and Andy. Yes. Or bad boy Ben and the Vixen. Uh-huh. Uh, or listening to his tales at uh, 19 in 89 on his very own podcast. And also and early episodes of this podcast, of the Radio course, Fanboy. Yep. Of course. But, you know, he moved around too and a lot of people do. Some people don't and I get that. You know, you've got people like Aaron Rich who started at Nova 100, went to Nova Sydney and then came back to Melbourne and has been on the Fox ever since and that is as far as he has travelled. Yeah. You know, but he has had a long career in the industry so far. And then you get other people who just keep bouncing around. But I genuinely love the idea of being able to travel with work. Mm. And I was teaching radio too, and I go back and do guest lecturing at Holmes Glen TAFE. Holy moly, Sarah Cameron. <laughs> and was teaching at the Melbourne Radio School, which um, became the Radio Training Institute. Yeah. And that is now no longer, which is devastating. But I loved teaching there. And I'd always say to the students there, if you get the opportunity to move around, go. Because you get to see the most incredible parts of Australia. Usually it might be in these small towns, but there's all these other offerings there around the town or close by. I mean, I love hiking. So for me, I look at a map of Australia and I'm looking for wherever I can go hiking. Speaking of which, I can see on your website there is a photo of you on top of a mountain looking down. Whereabouts is that? Uh, If... Uh, off the top of my head, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that's actually Whistler's Mountain. Yes, not I can to be see confused. snow in the background, yep. Not to be confused with Whistler Mountain. So there's Whistler, the town in British Columbia in yep. Canada, yep. and then just to confuse tourists, there's Whistler's Mountain, which is at a town called Jasper at the top end of the Canadian Rockies. Yeah. I think that's the photo that you're looking at. Yeah, it looks um, pretty bloody spectacular. Potentially, but, yeah, I love hiking. I live for it. It's just my favourite downtime and completely disconnecting from being in a studio looking at five screens and being inundated with technology. We've ran through the list. There's so many things that you've achieved. But the other thing I haven't asked is your weight loss. You did a a huge thing a few years ago and lost a shitload of weight. What (laughs) what, what What was the deal there? How did you do it? Well, first I put on a lot of weight and steroids would do that. So... I had to have a lot of steroid treatment when I was uh, when I was going through cervical cancer. Yeah, okay. And actually, Renee Peters and I were sharing photos a few months ago. She found some photos of an event that we were at, and I was like, hey, do you want to know something wild? I was like, this photo is from the Acres, which was about two, two and a half weeks earlier. And I'd actually put off, how's this? This is, this is how in denial I was about just, you know, being on top of your health, I would never do this now, okay? I'll just preface that. But when I had to go back in for another operation to remove some more cancer that was still there, 
they were going to schedule me in for the end of September. And I said, oh, but the radio awards are coming up and I'd just really like to let my hair down for one night. <laughs> and they said, okay, we get it. You're young. And I said, yeah, I just really want to have a drink as well. And they said, well, pretend you didn't say that. And, <laughs> and I, I moved my operation so that I could go to the Acris. Oh, good on you. <laughs> I don't know if that's the best thing or the dumbest thing that I've ever done. But anyway, so we did the Acres. That was 2010. And then it was a few days later, I was rolling up for another operation. And straight after that, steroids. And then it was, I think I put on about 10 kilos in two weeks. Just yep. a lot of water weight. And, wow. You know, it takes a long time for your body to, to actually process all the medication and everything that you're on. Yep. And I definitely didn't appreciate that. And... That was just the start of the turbulent weight gain and weight loss and then my endometriosis was really kicking off and I ended up having um, a laparoscopy, which is surgery through your stomach, about every six months. So I'd go in, have surgery, take a few months to recover. You put on weight in recovery, so then I'd lose it again and then I'd be back in having surgery again. Oh, my God. Rinse and repeat for about three years. I was just in and out of hospital constantly, so many complications, had septicemia. I Again, not wanting to be a problem, not wanting anyone to know that I was sick. I knew something was wrong because I collapsed at my sister's house the night before, but I still went to work the next day. It was a Monday. And Ben Herbersland, who now works at Triple M as well, he came into the studio. He was one of the floaters at Nova 100. And he just said to me, yeah, Kate, you just, you don't sound 100% right. The talk break wasn't bad, but it's just not you. And I said, I don't feel that great. He said, you are white. So he went out to Rowan Brown, who was the content director, and said, mate, SMC cannot finish her show we need to send her home and my ex-husband came and picked me up from the station and took me to the hospital by the time I got to hospital I was in and out of consciousness so I had septicemia and it was setting in had emergency surgery uh for hours and uh yeah it gets pretty deep but yeah just uh, pretty touch and go there for a little bit <laughs> holy moly what a life you've lived so being in and out of hospital so often, do you have a few impressive scars to show? Oh, yeah. I look like I've been shivved down a back alley and a drug deal <laughs> gone wrong in Colombia. Wow. And you're still here to tell the tale. Wow. That I'll is still wear impress- a bikini on the beach. Don't you worry. Oh, I look forward to someone seeing that. <laughs> You'll just see some scars. It's okay. It's fine. Uh, but, yeah, just because I was so ill for such a long time, but then, you know, I managed to get a lot of my health issues under control and... Uh, as much as I can control endometriosis. I mean, there is no cure. One in 10 women have it. It is debilitating for some. It is unbelievable the damage that it can do to some women. Uh, And then not only that, the fertility issues that it can bring on too. And I'm in a very fortunate place to be as healthy and mobile as I am right now. I'm really proactive with my health. I stick to a very strict diet and that is to manage my endometriosis and all my other health complications that I've been through as well. And that works for me now and I, and I really get a lot out of going for walks and going for hikes and and I just I need to be on the go as you've probably learned yeah <laughs> and I just need to be healthy and I feel like I've just been given all these not even second or third or fourth chances I just I really feel like a cat with nine lives is coming <laughs> up towards the end of it and oh. it would be wrong of me and I would be doing a disservice to my body to treat it with disrespect. So I just want to be as happy and healthy as I can be mentally and physically. So, yeah, I put on a lot of weight and I lost 40 kilos. Holy shit, that is incredible. Yeah. The the very strict diet you're talking about, what does that entail? I'm a vegetarian. Yep. And so that started because just a lot of issues with having my bowel operated on a couple of times due to endometriosis, intestines and everything. And yeah, just a a lot of surgery in that area was where a lot of my growths were. And um, digesting food is just hard. So for me to stick to vegetables is a lot easier. And then not only that, sticking to a low FODMAP diet. So, you know, no onion, no garlic, no capsicum, no gassy food, no beans or anything what, sorry, like sorry, what was that word again? FODMID? FODMAP, low FODMAP. So it's a really great diet for people with Crohn's disease, IBS, who have had operations in that sort of area as well, similar to what I have. A lot of 
people with endometriosis like to stick to it too as much as they can. You know, I'll go out and have a pizza here or there, but uh, I'll make sure that it doesn't have a garlic base or anything like that and I'll just deal with the bloating the next day, oh. which isn't too too bad. But, yeah, that's why I stick to that diet. So when people say, oh, do you miss meat? I'm like, well, no, because it hurts to digest yeah. meat. So I don't miss it. Um, and I certainly don't force my dietary requirements on anyone. My partner isn't a vegetarian. Yeah. He still eats seafood um, and he has meat every now and then as well. So, yeah, it's, you know, it, I I say this a lot. <laughs> you do you. You do what works for you. Yeah. I'm doing what works for me. Yeah. It doesn't work for a lot of other people, but I've found the, the best way for myself and my body to operate and it, and it keeps me in the space that I am now and it means that I'm no longer wearing a size 20 anymore. <laughs> No, so well, that's I'm, good. I I'm bet, bet you're happy about that, Sarah Marie, that's for oh, sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the best part about that is um, I'm not sure how long I can roll this bit for, but in my comedy I talk about losing the weight. And I tell you what, it's it's a good time. It is like Jenny Craig on steroids. Whoa. Because you're telling a room that you've lost weight and everyone's like, oh, my God, that's amazing. Round of applause. You're like, I haven't even told you a joke yet. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been this size the whole time. <laughs> you don't even know. <laughs> Crazy stuffing. My God, what an incredible woman you are, Sarah Marie Cameron. Thank you. Oh, you're talking it up. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us on the Radio Fanboy Podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. And I'm really sorry if I didn't shout out to any of my other fabulous friends that I have been oh, so look, blessed to make. Well, the tape's still rolling. You can do it now if you wish. Oh, <laughs> It's, I don't know, at the moment, you know, it's all Triple M stuff right now, working with Dangerous Dave and Rosie, Matty O is absolutely sensational, Danny Lake, he's just heaven on nights, late nights, not even late nights, nights now, working with the best drive team as well with Mick Malloy, we've got the Marty Sheer Gold Show with Troy Ellis at the helm and Matt Thompson, Lauren Barry, Will, who has come across from the Hot Breakfast to produce that as well, Goffey and uh, Dan Bradley, Fitzy, you and Giles. Oh, my God. The li- Honestly, I'm probably doing myself a disservice not naming everybody now. But th- th- I tell you what, I cannot be happier working at Triple M in Melbourne and getting to work with the unbelievably talented people on the Triple M side of things. Everything from the shows to sport, hearing the AFL and NRL calls uh, as well, it's it is unbelievable. Uh, and, and in amongst that, you've got Dead Set Legends, The Rush Hour, um, and it, it's the best. I love it, and I count my blessings every single day. So, yeah, I love it. This is the best industry to work in. Sarah Marie Cameron, Triple M Melbourne Mornings on the Radio Fanboy Podcast. The Radio Fanboy Podcast, hosted by Bevo and produced by Matt Fulton Productions. Dan Hill speaking.